Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can visit the website and give them a call, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got great guests for today's show, including Kathleen Pasadena, our state senator, will be joining us. Boo Mortensen up in Madison, Wisconsin. We'll find out what's new with Boo. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and my wife, Linda Harden, author of Greetings from Paradise, will be joining us as well. It is August 31st, and on this day in 1997, Diana, Princess of Wales, affectionately known as the People's Princess, died in a car crash in Paris. She was 36. Her boyfriend, the Egyptian-born socialite Dodi Fayed, and the driver of the car, Henry Paul, died as well. Princess Diana was one of the most popular public figures in the world. Her death was met with a massive outpouring of grief. Mourners began visiting Kensington Palace immediately, leaving bouquets at the home where the princess, also known as Lady Di, would never return. Piles of flowers reached some 30 feet from the palace's gate. Diana Doty, who had been vacationing in the French Riviera, arrived in Paris earlier in the previous day. They left the Ritz Paris just after midnight, intended to go to Doty's apartment at the uh, in uh, Arsay-Husay. I'm mispronouncing that. Not very good at my French. Anyhow, as soon as they departed the hotel, a swarm of paparazzi on the motorcycles began aggressively tailing their car. About three minutes later, the driver lost control and crashed into a pillar at the entrance of the uh, tunnel. Doty and the driver were pronounced dead at the scene. Diana was taken to a hospital and declared dead at 6 a.m. A fourth passenger, Diana's bodyguard, was seriously injured but survived. Diana's former husband, Prince Charles, as well as her sisters and other members of the royal family, arrived in Paris that morning. Diana's body was then taken back to London. Like much of her life, her death was a full-blown media sensation and the subject of many conspiracy theories. At first, the paparazzi hounding the car were blamed for the crash, but it later was revealed that the driver was under the influence of alcohol and prescription drugs. A formal investigation concluded the paparazzi did not cause the collision. Diana's funeral in London on September the 6th was watched by over 2 billion, that's what it be, 2 billion folks. She was survived by her two sons, Prince William, and who was 15 at the time, and Prince Harry, who was 12. Automobile accident this day in 1997, only 14 years ago. Well, the levees, flood walls, and flood gates that protected New Orleans held up against Hurricane Ida's fury, passing their toughest test since the federal uh, government spent billions of dollars to upgrade the system that catastrophically failed when Hurricane Katrina struck 16 years ago. But strengthening the flood protection system in New Orleans couldn't spare some neighboring communities from Ida's destructive storm surge. Many residents of Laplace, a uh, western suburb where work only recently began on a long-awaited levee project, had to be rescued from rising floodwaters. The storms wreaking havoc on southern states after making landfall as a Category 4 hurricane on Sunday. The Louisiana suffered the brunt of the damage of Ida's wrath. At least two people have died, and Governor John Bell Edwards is, uh, of Louisiana is warning the death toll could increase considerably. About one million people remain without power in Louisiana and Mississippi, including one million, including the entire city of New Orleans. City officials uh, uh, call for the damage to be uh, of the power grid catastrophic. Some hard-hit areas could be waiting weeks for power to return back on, and with temperatures set to hit the mid-80s to near-90s, residents without air conditioning or refrigeration could be dealing with hard days ahead for sure. More than 2,200 people are staying in shelters. Four Louisiana hospitals suffered damage, and 39 health facilities are running on generators. It's prompting some hospitals to transfer patients amid a rise in COVID-19 hospitalizations and infections. Meanwhile, Ida could bring up to 11 inches of rain in parts of Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida. Tragic. Those people hit so hard. Well, the last U.S. military plane carrying evacuees out of Afghanistan have taken off and is almost out of Afghanistan airspace, ending the U.S.'s military's 
presence in Afghanistan, even as numerous American citizens remain trapped behind enemy lines. General Kenneth McKenzie Jr., the commander, United States Central Commander CENTCOM, said at a press conference that the Biden administration was still in the process of trying to get American citizens out of Afghanistan, even though the U.S. now no longer has a presence there. Department of Defense spokesman John Kirby said at a press conference earlier in the day that Biden's administration does not anticipate a military role in the effort of trying to get additional U.S. citizens out of Afghanistan. McKenzie said that he thinks that the number of Americans still trapped in Afghanistan numbered in the low hundreds and that there were no American citizens that were evacuated on the last U.S. military planes to leave the country. Uh, Parenthetically, I read a story that there were seven buses of American women who were lined up at the gate, and they wouldn't let them in for some reason. Some question about what happened to them. They appeared to be dead as a, at the hands of the Taliban or perhaps al-Qaeda. They haven't confirmed that story, but we'll look into it. Democrat President Joe Biden claimed during an interview with ABC News uh, host George Stephanopoulos a couple of weeks ago that the U.S. troops would remain on the ground in Afghanistan until all Americans had been evacuated. That clearly did not happen. Family of one of the Marines killed in Afghanistan last week slammed President Biden's meeting with the Marines' pregnant widow as scripted and total disregard to the service member's death. Biden traveled to Dover, Delaware on Sunday to attend the dignified transfer of the 13 service members killed in Kabul's suicide bombing last week and meet with their families. Janaya McCollum, the pregnant wife of Marine Lance Corporal Riley McCollum, alongside the family's Marines' father and sisters were scheduled to meet with the president, but only Janaya ended up by speaking to the president. Royce McCollum, one of the late corporal's sisters, told the Washington Post on Sunday that she, her sister, and her father all refused to meet with Biden because they held him responsible for their fallen Marines' death. Uh, Janaya's meeting with Biden did not go well, however, though with Royce saying that the pregnant widow was frustrated after being uh, speaking with the president. Royce said the family felt the president's conversation with Janiah was hollow and lacking meaning and said that Biden appeared to show total disregard to the loss of our Marine. According to Royce's account of the Post, Biden spoke about the service of his veteran son, Bo. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? And his death from brain cancer, a topic Biden also brought up when both addressing the nation after the deadly Kabul suicide meeting, uh, bombing, and speaking with the new prime minister of Israel. You can't. Uff, you can't uff, f up as bad as he did and say you're sorry, Royce said in regards to Biden. This did not need to happen, and every life is on his hands, she said. Paula Krauss of uh, Clearwater, Florida, the mother of the 23-year-old Army Staff Sergeant Ryan Kranaus, said she was heartbroken over the loss of her son and eviscerated Biden's hasty withdrawal after 20 years of war. You can't have a hasty withdrawal after 20 years of war, she said, because it's beyond me. It disgraces the name of all those who fought in the past and who are now on the ground, foreign ground fighting right now. My son's 82nd Airborne is still there, and they deserve to be protected, she continued. The White House did not respond to Fox News' request for a comment. By the way, President Trump said that we should go in and bomb, get rid of, get rid of all that equipment that was left there. I think he's right about that. Otherwise. The Taliban will be something like the second or third largest uh, and well-equipped uh, air armed services in the world out of 194 countries or so. Amazing. So <clears throat> I mentioned this yesterday, but it's an interesting story by Clayton Spann from American Thinker. He says, why Joe Biden can't resign or be removed or die? In the wake of the Afghanistan debacle, demands have been uh, risen in Congress for President Biden to resign or be removed by the 25th Amendment. Elements of the former pro-Biden media have joined in the condemnation. Many silent Democrats, officeholders, likely want Biden out as they fear the systemic incompetence of his administration will bring them down and come 2022. But Joe can't resign or be fired. The Democrat high command will not let either happen, no matter how short-term the political cost. On the surface, that makes little sense. Joe's resignation or removal would not alter Democrat control of the presidency in Congress. If Joe leaves, Kamala Harris becomes president. She is incompetent too, but no more so than Joe, and is on a board with administration radical agenda. So, why can't Joe quit or be be removed from office? Article 1, 
Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution states, the Vice President of the United States shall be the President of the Senate uh, and shall have no vote unless equally divided. The current Senate is equally divided at 50 and 50. As soon as Kamala Harris takes the presidential oath, the Vice Presidency is left vacant. In that case, a tie vote means that the legislation, resolution, or confirmation under consideration fails. Senate uh, chamber without a vice president puts Mitch McConnell in the catbird seat, and he can kill all Democrat initiatives, including any nomination to refill the vice presidency. So you can see now that this is a big problem. The Democrat agenda goes up in smoke. The $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill is blocked. Uh, the For the People bill is blocked. The Green New Deal is blocked. Packing the Supreme Court is dead as uh, the attempt to scuttle the filibuster or grab guns. Therefore, the Democrats will keep Joe in office, even if he's reduced to talking gibberish and eating jello. Kamala will stay, uh, stays where she is, and the Democrat dream of fundamental transformation remains, in their opinion, alive. But what if Joe dies? The 70 year old man is certainly at risk. When Joe was three decades earlier, in 1988, he suffered two brain aneurysms. Doctors at the time gave him a 50 50 chance of surviving. He's not a healthy guy, said Dr. Shiner. In 2020, Dr. Shiner was concerned about Biden's potential for a stroke. So if he died, I guess they just, uh, the story goes on, keep him under wraps, pretend like he's still alive, say that he's trying to avoid, uh, for example, assassination attempts or some nonsense like that. So it's important to the Democrats that Biden stay in his office. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They're proudly serving their board, doing great things, including creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. 
And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. Senator, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Kathleen. So I would imagine right now you're gearing up for the uh, next legislative session. What's been on your mind lately? Well, uh, our committee um, our committee weeks start the second week in September, so there's a lot of activity around setting that up. Wow. But there's been a number of issues that have risen over the summer that um, my from Southwest Florida have been working on. Uh, one most importantly is the issue with the um, Army Corps of Engineers uh, decision uh, with regard to Lake Okeechobee discharges. They uh, came up with this plan to discharge most of the um, the, the bad water uh, down the Clusatchee River and none down the St. Lucie, and that's caused a huge uproar in southwest Florida. Mm. We were not, none of my colleagues, whether you're a House member or a Senate member, were um, were given any input or, or any opportunity to give input when, when they made that decision. Uh, fortunately, we've got some eagle-eyed uh, local elected officials, uh, particularly Kevin Ruane from uh, Lee County Commission, who caught the uh, caught it early on. So we've been, and uh, of course, uh, Congressman Byron Donald. So we've been working pretty much around the clock uh, to 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 get them to moderate their stance. And so far, they are. Um, you know, the, the the issue is very simply: uh, Lake Okeechobee provides water uh, in the dry season to uh, many properties throughout the region, including the uh, the um, Farm, farmland, uh, and during the wet season when the lake is full, they discharge down the rivers, um, and and what they came up with was this new plan that would send uh, the, the blue-green algae water, for lack of a better term, down the uh, Coosahatchee River. So now they've moderated that. It has to be a fair discharge, and, and we're, we're work, we've been working all summer um, uh, with them, and um, to them, and and hopefully we've we've got we're going to come to some kind of an agreement uh, in, in the near future that would not harm Southwest Florida. So, uh, in other words, diverting some of that water down the other river would uh, somehow uh, mitigate or alleviate the problem of uh, the algae bloom and uh, other prob- contaminants. Yeah, well, they when the lake gets when Lake Okeechobee gets to a certain level, they uh, they have to discharge some of the water and. Now, the lake uh, uh, repairs and restoration uh, of the dike is just about completed, and what they're doing is talking about how they're going to move forward, and this program's called LOMAS. And uh, the original plan that they came up with uh, for future discharges would be discharging all the water down the Caloosahatchee River, you know, when when the lake level gets too high. Mm -hmm. And in that water is some of the, uh, dirty water that is in the lake, and uh, and until we can get the water stored north of the lake to clean it before it goes into the lake, we're, uh. we're going to have that problem. And they came up with this thing where they weren't going to send any down the St. Lucie. They've been working with Congressman Maston, who represents that area, and he just uh, somehow got it where uh, the Clusatchee was going to take all of it. Uh. And of course, that's not fair. It's not right. It doesn't make sense. At the same time, they were taking water away from the farmlands that need it. So the whole um, the whole plan that they came up with was faulty, uh, is faulty, and now they're they're talking about um, changes to it so that the discharges would be fair. Mm-hmm. There would be less um, uh, of the dirty discharges down the Caloosahatchee, uh, which is what we've been fighting for. And um, you know, finishing up all the other projects. So it's it's a pretty complicated issue, and it's gonna, you know, t- taking a lot of will. And I'm really proud of our local elected officials and how they are just digging right in, rolling up their sleeves, and going to work, doing a great job. So interesting. So uh, at least they're talking. So they're listening to us, and uh, they're they're considering. Uh, the proposals that we're making. Uh, do you know uh, how is this all paid for? Is this all federal dollars? Um, well, that's another another story. Uh, Florida and the federal government had agreed uh, with regard to the uh, the Everglades Restoration Plan to pay half and half, and uh, they had 
they basically agreed on who's paying what project. For example, the reservoir south of Lake Okeechobee is being paid for fully by the federal government. The uh, water storage, the wells north of the lake is being paid for by the state of Florida. Uh, the C-43 reservoir was paid for by the state of Florida. Uh, the Army Corps of Engineers and the state went 50-50 on the repairs to the lake. Um, and the, the, my biggest concern is, you know, during the Trump administration, the federal government um, made good on all their commitments. I don't it, 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 they had not done it during the Obama administration, and now the question is what's going to happen during the uh, Biden administration. So far, they haven't been very forthcoming with the dollars, hmm. which is... Um, unfortunately, not it's not acceptable. Um, but we did during the four years of the Trump administration. He was very uh, uh, generous and gracious in um, providing funding. Such an interesting story. So, uh, do you know if uh, I'll, I'll speak with Rick Lacaster is going to come on the show on Thursday? Our uh, uh, commissioner from uh, Florida. Or right. District 1, I guess it is. But uh, he's going to be uh, probably talking about maybe some of the dollars coming out of Akaya County Tills as well. So a very interesting yeah. story. Uh, <laughs> hopefully Biden it's, will it's come complicated. through. Yeah. I mean, and it's not just, uh, you know, we talk a lot about the Everglades and Everglades restoration. But, you know, we also have an issue throughout the state of Florida, our springs that are been degraded. And we're working to... Um, uh, repair and restore them as well. I understand there's also an amendment to the Constitution proposed by the Realtors of Florida. Yeah, they um, they they filed an amendment that would require um, the largest share of the documentary stamp tax that w went into the Sadowski Trust Fund for affordable workforce housing to go only for uh, down payment assistance. And for two reasons, that's not appropriate. One, one should no state should ever budget in the Constitution. Look, in California, their budget it's basically constitutional mandate, and they're they're struggling because they can't meet their uh, daily demands because they have to they have to um, uh, follow these constitutional you know propositions. It's a, it's a real uh, trap. And the second thing is. Um, there are places in Florida where there is no affordable housing available, like Miami-Dade. The um, mean home price is four hundred thousand dollars, and if you are, you know, uh, uh, you know, making forty or fifty thousand dollars a year, you can't afford a four hundred thousand dollar house. So, the state would then be um, required to not just give down payment assistance, but purchase price assistance, which was never contemplated by uh, the the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. So there's a lot of issues to it. We're trying to work with the realtors to have them stand down. Uh, hopefully that will happen. Otherwise, it will be a huge problem for the state of Florida that people don't realize because it sounds good. Yeah, affordable housing, put, put fun, funds to help people buy homes. But it's the one-size-fits-all doesn't work. Yeah, no question. As a matter of fact, we had an amendment on class size. Uh, about a decade ago, exactly. maybe, and uh, exactly. that really trapped us because things change, and uh, we're stuck with right. something that uh, has to takes another constitutional amendment to fix. Kathleen Pasadomo, exactly. again, our state senator, I just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Boo Morton, and we'll find out what's new with Boo. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. 
Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app from the choicesocial.us website. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now, we want to find out what's new with Boo. Boo Mortensen up in Madison, Wisconsin. Boo, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I have to tell you a cute story that only can happen in Wisconsin, or I should say the Midwest, and it is utterly adorable. Uh. Uh, There was a woman that was in uh, the car, and she was in the drive-up at McDonald's, and she looked up to see the car in front of her, who was also in line at McDonald's, and the back of her car was a cow. No. (laughs) Yes. Actually... It was a calf, and the calf had stuck his head out the window, and the woman behind them was so startled, she took a photo of the calf, and it turns out there was not one calf in the back seat of the car, but three, and two of them were lying down, and the one was sitting up with his head out the window. And the backstory is, she had bought these cows and was taking them to her farm, didn't know how to do it, so she stuck them in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and they were calves, so I mean, still a calf is pretty big for crying out loud, bigger than a dog for sure. Oh, for, yes, I know. Now that's something that you won't see in Naples. In fact, you won't see it in most states. Well, I, I, you know, I've never seen calves in the back seat of a car, so I have to say it'd be a first anywhere in the planet, quite frankly. I know. Isn't that utterly adorable? That is utterly adorable. <laughs> 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 That's cute. And then another thing is, uh, you know, we all grew up, or at least I did, I'm sure you did, playing the game Monopoly. Oh, hours of Monopoly. Hours. I mean, it's a good game to go back to and to play again. So I looked up something about Monopoly, and it was invented in 1935 during the, impre- during the Depression. Mm-hmm. And it was invented by an unemployed radiator repairman named named Charles Darrow. And he took his prototype to Parker Brothers, and they said, nope, we're not interested. It's a stupid game. He went home, sold so many games out of his house that Parker Brothers turned around and said, all right, we'll take it. Since 1935, 250 million sets have been sold worldwide, and an estimated one billion people have played the game. My one billion. You know, I have a friend who's uh, visits with his grandchildren frequently. He's up in Bethesda, Maryland. When he goes up to visit the family, and I said, "So, Fred, how'd it go? How'd you enjoy your grandchildren?" He says, "Man, I just don't want to play one more game of Monopoly." <laughs> <laughs> See, it's a captive game. It's a it's a nice blend of strategy and luck. Yes, it is. And uh, it takes some strategy. Yeah, absolutely. So I always enjoyed Monopoly. Always wanted to win. 
it sometimes ended up in frustration because you ended up owning Baltic or I remember those yellow ones that were always tough. The what was a garden something or other. I've yeah, been, yeah, exactly. I haven't seen. I haven't played the game for a while. So, uh, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that you grow up with that you don't think about, and you have no idea how impactful really the game is. I think it all comes down to the the uh, what you choose as a moving piece for playing the game. You have the car. You have a thimble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the hat. The hat. That's right. I forgot the hat. Well, thanks for bringing us, taking us down memory lane, Boo. <laughs> taking us, yes. And then, what do you think of Tim Scott? I Republican think Republican black guy out of South Carolina. You think he's got a shot at anything? Oh well, he's a, a true leader in the party. He's a he's a, a very what I appreciate about it is Tim Scott so much is he's so he's a. Breath of fresh air. His his almost radiates sunshine. Quite frankly, he's just a uh, just a very positive, positive guy. No matter what the circumstance, he always believes in America. Always believes uh, there's uh, you know it's darkest before the dawn. Things are going to get better, and I appreciate that about him. What do you think? Yeah, I think he's somebody to watch. I think uh, I think he could be a real powerhouse. Um, obviously, Larry Ellison, who is the CEO of Oracle, also believes in him. He gave him $10 million for his campaign. And Steve Wynn, the, the guy that owns a lot of real estate in um, Las Vegas, gave him a million. So they're putting their money behind him. Yeah. I, you know, uh, I think Trump's going to uh, run for the Republican uh, Party f- uh, nomination for president. <coughs> Excuse me. So. He would be a great vice presidential choice. Well, what do you think about our governor? He'd be a great choice too. I mean, I really, I really like uh, the job that uh, DeSantis is doing here in Florida. I just don't want to lose him. Quite frankly, I'd like to have have him serve another term as our mm-hmm. governor because you know, right now he serves as a shield against some of the nonsense that's coming down from the federal government. Uh, I just really appreciate everything that he's doing, and I hope he sticks around. Uh, that's selfish, I realize, but uh, I think, uh, quite frankly, our governor would make a good president. Yeah, I do, too. You know how they're, and boy, I'll tell you, are they mounting the criticism against him and, and the school board, the mask mandates? Oh, they, uh, uh, the Democrats are are starting to scream. Yeah, well, they his mask a mandate, uh, no masks in schools, that's been challenged now in court. I think it'll probably end up in the Supreme Court in Florida. And uh, he appointed three of the judges. Doesn't necessarily mean they'll go his way, but, you know, he's got the uh, law behind him. The it, the legislature put in place uh, the parental rights and the rights of choice. And uh, so he has, he has a lot of uh, backing for his position. I don't think the school boards are necessarily going to win. What they have going for them, the school boards, is home rule. They usually like to keep the law as close as possible to the people. And that, of course, would be, in this case, uh, the school boards. We shall see. It's a hot button. And I'll tell you, there's an organization called Mad Moms. And uh, they want their—they want to be able to make the choice. Yeah, absolutely. The kids—they should make the choice. First of all, we know that masks don't make any difference anyhow. Second of all, the traps—well, that's one of the ways we eliminate uh, waste in our bodies—is we breathe out our—we breathe that waste out. And instead of breathing it out, we just keep a diaper on our face to make sure it traps right against our, <laughs> just against yeah. our face. And there's all kinds of side uh, problems that are created by that, unintended consequences, like what they call mask mouth. It uh, creates uh, infections in your mouth and your gums and your teeth. I guess it's kind oh, of a... heavens. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a lot of controversy, boo. Well, you know, up here, we have, they've reinstituted the mask mandate. So if you go indoors anywhere, you have to wear a mask. Wow. So they've, yeah, they were, we're going backwards. Um, I don't know. I wonder if this is just the first step to going back to what we did before where they restrict how many people can eat in restaurants. I don't know. It seems like we're kind of sliding backwards. Yeah, you know, uh, well, of course, they got this Delta variant. Of course, the newspaper, the media, and uh, the, trying to fan the flames of fear about uh, what's going on. 
and I frankly think that a lot of the information is uh, bogus. I went to the dentist yesterday, and they said, when do you want to have your next appointment? I said, well, you lift the mask main date in here. I'm not coming back if I have to wear a mask. So <laughs> anyhow. Oh, that's, really? Yeah, that's that's where I stand on Boo, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. All it right. was utterly delightful. It was just utterly delightful, Boo. Thank you. All right, coming up, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months, finally having exhausted all alternatives for pain management. Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Listen to the Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can visit the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Linda Harden. She writes Greetings from Paradise. Right now, we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good. Seton, how are you doing? Doing all right. Thank you. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and I didn't mean in Kabul. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Hey, you wrote a great piece. Biden's Afghanistan withdrawal fiasco threatens D.C. domestic expansion agenda. Let's hope so. Well, maybe something good will come out of this. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, what he, when Biden first announced his withdrawal, I said, if you're conservative, you should thank him. Now, this is right at the announcement. I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm stunned but not surprised by how horrifically he's handled the withdrawal. But the withdrawal itself, if you want less government, this has been a fiasco. Yeah. We've, we've spent $2.2 trillion. Well, let's start with the fact that we killed more than 2,000 Americans and horribly maimed and, and de- decimated their lives tens of thousands more, whether it's physical or mental injuries, you know, for dealing with that hell for 20 years. Um, $2.2 trillion. Um, it's, it's, the, D.C. has been lying to us in bipartisan fashion from the, from the beginning. You know, we were told the, the government's great and the police are great and the Army's fantastic. And, you know, and, and five seconds after we pull the, pull the plug, the, the, the Afghan president gets on a plane with $169 million of our money and goes to Dubai. Um, 
the army, the army starts shaking hands and handing their weapons to the Taliban, and, and the police are nowhere to be found. Yeah. And, and for 20 years, D.C. has lied to us and told us how great all three of those entities were. Right. And, and, and we, you know, because they were all cashing our checks and making money off of it at the expense of our soldiers. So my point was, if you're a conservative, you want this frickin' thing over. Right. Yesterday. Um, and so I got yelled at by a bunch of conservatives and, and, and all this. And, you know, I, I just don't think... They were so upset with how poorly that was being handled, the how, they weren't grasping the fact that the what was good. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. It, uh, the how was pretty bad. Seaton, that was just... Oh, abs- it's unbelievable. He's, there's still Americans there, and he's just, okay... It's August 31st. We're done. Yeah, he lied. I he mean, basically said he's not leaving until he gets every American out. That was a lie. That, he said that, that on George, Ste- George Stepanopoulos' so, show. Uh, you know, I just, uh, I, wanted, I wanted to point that out, that this is a 20-year disaster. Yeah. And we were getting ripped off for two decades. You know, I, look, I understand being angry with Biden and how he's handled withdrawal. But that small ball. You need to step back and realize that the entire edifice of D.C. has been ripping us off and lying to us for 20 years on this. Well, And then, of course, I wanted to juxtapose that with, as all this evidence comes rushing in that we can't trust D.C. to tell us the truth or be remotely competent, they're trying to spend an extra $5.4 trillion this year. Yeah. And you got to ask yourself, well, gee, if they're that incompetent internationally, they're probably that incompetent domestically, aren't they? Yeah, even the and Washington so, po- even the Washington Post said, you know, if you're going to have this three point five trillion dollar program, at least you could have some something in it that's worthwhile. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's all if the Washington Post doesn't like what the Democrats are doing. How far from the path have they strayed? Really um, far. And so you've got all this. Attempt at bigger D.C., bigger government, bigger programs, more programs, new new programs, bigger existing programs. And I wanted to call attention to, hello, the, you know, the, the international policy hand just proved government sucks at everything. So how about we apply that knowledge we just acquired to the domestic hand of government yeah. and say we shouldn't go into all these new endeavors that D.C. wants to get involved in. And, of course, you know, we've talked about government broadband before. And I I bring this up again because I saw one of the dumbest. It's from Politico, which I call Pathetico. It's a D.C. uh, political publication. And they're involved. I mean, they have emails every week for energy and uh, uh, tech and, and inside government and inside. I mean, they're a very big organization, leftist news organization in D.C. And they wrote, (laughs) they wrote the very stupid sentence, and I'm paraphrasing, demand outstrips supply for existing government broadband money. I'm like, really? Free money is popular? That's stunning to me. (laughs) That's that's shocking. And of course, I I make the point, the state and local governments have to balance their budgets. The federal government does not. So what's happened over the years, many years, is the, the federal government has, has slowly sucked up power from the state and local governments, which isn't constitutional, of course, because it's supposed to be a enumerated federal government and everything else belongs to the states. But the states haven't fought them that hard on it because it saves them money. Right. They, you know, and they don't, they don't have to uh, spend money on these things. If the feds will do it. And, of course, that brings us more and more out of, econ- out of economic balance because the states and locals have to balance a budget every year. The feds don't. So as they took more and more responsibility away from state and local government and started paying for it, we start ramping up the debt, and the state and local governments don't answer to us on anything anymore because they don't do anything anymore. It's all federal or federally funded. 
Well, uh, the, fortunately, we have a governor here in Florida that's really protecting us against uh, some of this outrage. And uh, we do have a you know we do have a hundred billion dollar budget here in Florida, so we do spend some money. But uh, you're right, the the the, uh, the reach of the federal government is becoming atrocious, and they're trying they're trying to take over elections, they're trying to take every <laughs> over everything. Well, yeah, they keep going, and that's again my point of the article, which is. They they screw up everything they do. Why are the Why aren't you outraged that they're trying to do more, including international? And by the way, you know I moved to Florida, obviously, so I'm I'm appreciative. But we we exist on a knife's edge down here. I mean, we've had a Republican governor for what 24 years or something like that. But every election is very close. Remember what, what what did he beat? What did DeSantis beat uh, the Democrat by? Like. 1.5% or yeah, something. Yeah, but of course, uh, the, the other mitigating factors, there was cheating going on. It was actually by... Well, there was cheating, of course. Uh, uh, I, you know, I, I'm just, I want to point out, it was, it was still relative... We haven't addressed the cheating, so it's not like it's going to happen again. Yeah. It's not going to happen again. But also, I just thought, it, you know, uh, speaking of Knife's Edge, less than a month after he almost won the governorship, wasn't he found in a motel? Yeah. With- <laughs> messed out of his mind and with a bunch of guys and yeah yeah i mean that was almost our governor yeah i know uh, it's scary, scary indeed seat mildly again the founder and president of less government i encourage you to visit less government you can see the column uh that he's written it's called biden's afghanistan withdrawal seat i always appreciate your commentary on the show thank you so much for joining us thank you bob my pleasure indeed All right, uh, coming up, we're going to visit with Linda Harden. She is the author of Greetings from Paradise. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Linda Harden. She's my wife, and uh, just genuinely appreciate her commentary here on the show. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, although it's it's a sad, sad morning. It is a sad morning. Well, tell us about what your thoughts are. I can't understand why Joe Biden is still in office. I, I think that um, what he has done to the, the people in Afghanistan, the, the people that were left behind, he promised n- not to leave anyone behind, and there's still well over 100 that are still waiting and tried to get out. So this is interesting to me because just a few weeks ago, or a week ago, 
Uh, there was something like twenty or thirty thousand. We've got five thousand out. Uh, to me, just a couple of hundred. Uh, I guess the, the quote was more than a hundred. <laughs> well, they're not giving the true number. Yeah, that's right. And and by the way, they haven't told the truth since this whole thing started. No, they haven't. So uh, to your point, uh, Joe Biden is he's actually created a tremendous stain on the reputation of the, our brand here in the United States around the world has been diminished as a result of his actions. Oh, by the way, he has stained the office of the presidency of the United States. Absolutely. So he should resign, uh, or in fact, uh, you know, of course they, sh- they could, if they get half of the cabinet members, I guess, to vote for uh, uh, evoking the 25th Amendment, then it goes to the House and the Senate, and they need two-thirds, I believe, of the vote in order to get him out of office. I, you know what? I, I just think his, his political capital is, is, has disappeared. Um, he has no base. His poll numbers are sinking into the 30s. And just, you know, I was, I was very young when Nixon resigned, but, but his poll numbers were better than Biden's are right now. Mm-hmm. And, and now the, the mainstream media is turning on Biden. And so... Um, um, I don't know why he's, he's, I mean, he's just totally incompetent, and I don't know why he's, why he's still in office. Yeah, and it, uh, of course, uh, if he doesn't have any support, then he's going to have a hard time getting his legislation through, and maybe having Biden in office is a good thing until we get uh, a good president back, uh, somebody like Trump back in the, into office. You know, it's really, what's really sad about this, I mean, there are a number of different pathetic and horribly sad um scenarios coming out of what he's done in the last couple of weeks. But the one that's fresh in my mind was what what happened when those dead soldiers were taken off that plane with those flags and Joe Biden kept looking at his watch. Yeah. I mean, I I and and oh by the way, Steve Baden brought this up the other day too. He says, "Oh my goodness, all those people who are totally vaccinated from Biden to his generals to everybody are standing there." masked up they couldn't even buy in the fresh air they're all vaccinated which that's another topic we don't want to go into but but they're all supposedly vaccinated and they're standing out and they're in their fresh air and they can't even bother to take off their masks in honor of those dead dead young people did did you hear yeah i'm sure you heard the story of the woman who said that she met with the president she intended for her entire family to meet with him but it was only with her and he's again said she lost he lost his son Bo to brain cancer and he had served in the military i can't believe he's so tone deaf he is absolutely tone deaf how he could bring that up to that woman at that time i have no idea it's just despicable and um i mean as as those those poor people were were suffering it it's not it wasn't about him it's never about him mm-hmm. yet he always refers to his dead son. Of course, he's not talking about Hunter at all, but he's, he refers back to his dead son. The whole thing, the whole scenario is just so sad. By the way, let me just bring this up too. Speaking of Afghanistan and, and our, our pullout and leaving people there, um, you and I have talked um, frequently about those um, contractors who are going, independent contractors who are, who are flying in at their own risks into Afghanistan to try and rescue the people that Joe Biden and his administration have left behind. And yet, um, our State Department is calling up the country surrounding Afghanistan and telling them not to let those people, those contractors land with, with refugees from Afghanistan, and wanting the Department of Justice to prosecute them. Can this get any worse? I can't imagine. I guess this is... Uh, if. We're the government, and we're going to be in charge, and we're going to do all this, and uh, we don't need any help from uh, contractors. It's just so sad. Actually, uh, there were uh, seven buses of women, American women, uh, lined up at the gate to get on the last plane leaving Afghanistan, and uh, apparently they didn't let them through at the gate. And uh, who knows what happened to those women? They probably, uh, uh, I would imagine, they're all dead now. Well, Pete Hegseth was was saying when when asked this morning, he's a he's a former he's an Afghan um, veteran, and he says he says I can only expect he says I hope it doesn't happen, but I can only expect that we're going to get the same videos and pictures out of Afghanistan that we did out of Iraq, yeah. um, those horrible um, executions and whatever. Um, I don't you know. Every, there is not a good. There is nothing good to be said 
about the Biden administration. Biden, Harris, um, his, his Secretary of State, who was on vacation in the Hamptons when uh, Kabul fell, um, to his national security advisor, who, when this ha- was happening, decided to go down to um, Buenos Aires or uh, Brazil to try and talk that president out of um, running again. They are so awful, and they should all resign en masse, out the door, and they should be escorted by um, military veterans, in my opinion. And taken to Guantanamo for court-martialing. In orange jumpsuits. (laughs) Absolutely. See, i got something else in my mind. Uh, The Center for Disease Control, of course, run by Dr. Rochelle Walensky, is said now that uh, the agency is now going to restore its dormant gun violence research. I mean, they're starting to say they started to uh, try and start this program to reduce the number of guns in the United States. Oh, let, okay. You want to start that conversation? Oh my goodness! The Biden administration has armed the Taliban oh. with billions of dollars of guns and 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 tanks and whatever, and the CDC wants to take away our guns, but they 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 have armed the biggest terrorist state or country now in the world, don't even get me started. Uh, oh, I know. It's just, uh, well, my point in this comment is uh, you're certainly right about that. But uh, also my point about this is that uh, some people look to the CDC for guidance on public health. You know, there has been to come so politicized that I wouldn't believe anything they said. If if they said good morning, I'd look at my watch to make sure what time it is. Well, well and and... Oh, by the way, you're exactly right, but look at who's still looking to them at guidance. Lee, Lee County has just, um, in spite of the fact that we live in the free state of Florida, there, there's a school board just reinstated mask mandates yeah. because of who? The CDC recommendations. Yeah. And who other, what other organizations are, do we, that we are close to in this, in this city are going to start mandating vaccinations because of what the CDC says, and they are the most unreliable. Well, it, it, it goes further. The CDC now has released new inclusive language that they want the American public to use in place of lots of already existent words that we typically do use to describe individuals and groups. Uh, words like, uh, for example, person uh, should be a descriptor instead of man or woman, you know, the race, ethnicity, sexual orientation. They're going into all this woke nonsense. The CDC. And if that's not politicizing the organization, I don't know what is. Well, they're putting lives in danger. Yeah, Can I are. just say that? I mean, they, they said over a year ago that children should not be master or, or vac- uh, vaccinated. And now Anthony Fauci um, and, and Walensky um, are saying that, that 12-year-olds should now get vaccinated, that that's a good idea. I think the, I think the, the, the real objective here is to turn all of us into ATMs for Big Pharma. Exactly. You know, exactly. Well, get everybody to have a booster every six months <laughs> to to uh, protect themselves from the next variant of uh, the uh, COVID nineteen. You know what? They're they're counting on the fact that people the people in the United States are sheep. What they're doing is making people so angry. And and to Rand, Rand Paul's point, is just like resist. Do yeah. not comply. Don't comply. Can't, can't stick us all in jail, says Rand Paul. They can't arrest all of us. And 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 you know what? Um, I'd have that argument with any, anyone. Yeah. There, there, there are still, there are still, I mean, people are waking up to this, but there are still so many sheep out there that just go, oh, yeah, well, the government told me to go get a shot, so yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full, yeah. I'm going to go get one. Wake up, people. Yeah, Good know. grief. Yeah. I just, I can't imagine people say, why won't the government tell us what to do? It's just, <laughs> I just can't believe that mentality. Linda, I always appreciate your commentary. You don't have show. enough time. There's not enough time. I realize that. But you'll come back, I hope. Yes, soon. I will. All right. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I certainly hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many, many books. His latest is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks.
so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>